Need CEUs to renew your PT license? JOSPT's Read for Credit Continuing Education Program can help. Read and critically analyze one of many selected JOSPT articles, then take an online exam. Each successfully completed exam earns you 0.2 CEUs or 2 credit hours towards your license renewal. For a limited time, JOSPT Insights listeners can try one Read for Credit exam for free. Visit JOSPT.org RFC and click on Get My Free Exam to take advantage of this offer. That's JOSPT.org RFC. Click on Get My Free Exam. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today on JOSPT Insights, we're diving into concussion assessment and rehabilitation and how a good assessment can help you structure and prioritise your concussion rehabilitation program. Joining me is Dr. Jessica Schwartz, the owner of Physical Therapy To Go in New York City. Jessica is an orthopedic residency trained doctor of physical therapy. She's a national spokeswoman for the American Physical Therapy Association, host of the Concussion Corner podcast, and she has lived experience of concussion. She's a post-concussion syndrome survivor, an advocate, and a passionate health educator. Welcome to JOSPT Insights, Jess. Oh, Claire, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Jess. I'm really looking forward to learning about your experience of concussion and also learning from you about managing concussion in the clinic. Thank you. And it's really an honor to both be a physical therapist and a lived uh, past patient of this injury. So thank you so much for uh, letting me share those insights. Can we start by talking about why rehabilitation clinicians, people like physios, physical therapists, athletic trainers, why these folks are so qualified to manage concussion? We really think in terms of function, because in 2017, concussion was actually called a rehabilitative injury for the first time internationally. And who better to treat this than physical therapists and athletic trainers and OTs and and speech pathologists and neuropsychologists and the whole gamut. 100 years ago, when the American Physical Therapy Association was formed and we were in the middle of World War I treating TBI, traumatic brain injury in the trenches, that's the first thing that why physios were, were formed. Jess, I heard you mention MTBI, mild traumatic brain injury, and concussion just before. Are they the same thing or are we talking about two different things? Yeah, so MTBI, concussion, and TBI are all synonymous in 2020. There's over 43 working definitions of concussion. Uh, Only one of them is evidence-based. And at the end of the day, we just need to, you know, pay attention that the word concussion is synonymous with brain injury. And that's why we uh, take this very seriously. What does rehabilitation for concussion look like in musculoskeletal practice? That's an excellent question, Claire. So we know that concussion is a clinical diagnosis only, and I repeat that twice because it's important. It's a clinical diagnosis only, and it's rehabilitative. Concussion and and brain injury can both be a central and a peripheral injury, um, which is why we have folks like Catherine Schneider in Canada doing tremendous work on our joint position statements um, every four years. Um, She's the only physio on there. We have folks like Julia Trelevin, who you've interviewed, doing a lot of uh, whiplash and cervical spine spine work, um, and concussion, I say stick to what you know. So if you're working in clinic, 
We know that the CO to C3A pharynx are so important. So if you're working in the musculoskeletal clinic and that's where your cup of tea is, that's perfect. Stick with the, the cervical spine. And remember that we have so many other concomitant injuries that happen with concussion, and we need to make sure that we're screening for them and we're treating them and addressing them. So for example, the vestibular system, the C-spine, the ocular motor system, we have the migranor, we have anxiety and mood disorders and cog uh, cognitive disorders with brain injury and concussion. And I also in, include exercise intolerance and autonomic system as well, um, which isn't talked about as much into the last five years, um, but that we really need to be connected to. So you're touching on exercise, autonomics, autonomic sex, hormones, uh, musculoskeletal, orthopedics, and uh, neuro, all in one injury. And we have to make sure that we're addressing our 30,000-foot view of the patient, including their environment, and then also what we're seeing orthopedically and neurologically, and making sure we're triaging and treating and referring those all appropriately the first time. What tools and assessments do folks need to be comfortable with to do a good clinical assessment when the patient first walks into the clinic? Physical therapists really are uniquely qualified screeners and evaluators, and I can't stress that enough. So we're looking at, you know, differentials. Is there anything else more gnarly going on? Have we ruled out our red flags? Doing a comprehensive targeted physical examination, looking at, you know, balance and coordination, vestibular ocular exam, ocular um, ophthalmologic exam, cranial nerves, a, a neuro exam, mental status and mood. Screening all of those systems is tremendous because at the end of the day, we can really pick up any red or yellow flags and either decide to treat, refer, and assess the other concomitant injuries. But we really must be taking heart rates and blood pressures on all of these patients because we often see a lot of autonomic issues um, that often aren't found until later on because they just weren't looked at acutely. Um, so please be doing that. We can be doing a SCAT-5 in 48 to 72 hours, but we're really looking at everything from some um, cognitive components, screening on that, balance, um, memory, and things like that. So it's really a wonderful comprehensive exam, succinct and to the point of what we need to be looking at. The VOMS, very important, vestibular ocular motor screen, and that can be done by physio or other professionals. You do not need to be a vestibular therapist to do that exam. So I can't stress that enough. I really do like the King DVIC. Now, that is a paid-for rapid number naming test, objective, quick, under-two-minute exam that you really can't fake when it comes to the ocular motor. And what we find is that ocular motor movement, early eye movement, was more accurate in predicting the development of post-concussive syndrome than neuropsychological status, our motor function, or self-reported health condition. So really looking at psychotic and smooth pursuits and visual, visual tracking actually had persistent abnormalities in both sensitivity and specificity as predictors of poor recovery from concussion. And then lastly, looking at a Buffalo concussion treadmill or a Buffalo concussion bike test, which is newer um, as of 2020 to come out, um, looking at the physiological symptoms. So, you know, obviously doing your, your comprehensive screen for your cervical spine, you know, looking at the peripheral system as well. And, and that's it. So SCAT-5, VOMS, King DVIC, and the physiological testing with the Buffalo concussion or treadmill or bike test. And then I really like to use a PHQ or a PHQ-9 or GAD-7 for anxiety and, and depression screening, a post-concussive symptom scale, or a Rivermead, a PCSS, and a DHI for dizziness. 
my intakes are generally about 90 minutes to three hours, depending on how acute, subacute, or chronic the patient is and what other uh, concomitant injuries may be going on, including getting bounced around in the healthcare system. Jess, you mentioned red flags. Can you walk us through what the red flags are and how you assess them? So red flags um, are standard red flags, just like any red flag would be in clinic. So this is not new. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Um, This is also included in the SCAT-5. So again, I highly recommend it because you can get it in a pocket card. You can keep it in clinic and print it and it's free open access. So we're looking at neck pain or tenderness. Now, again, if someone's coming in with a hardy whiplash injury or things like that, and you're a physio assessing cervical spine, you know, again, you are expert in that. Um, So take that with a a grain of salt. But again, we're looking for neck pain or tenderness, especially in in an acute setting. And pay attention to the the hardiness of that injury and, and the mechanism of how that injury happened. Was, there, was it a linear injury? Was it more um, rotational? Paying attention and documenting all of those things. Is there any diplopia, any double vision, uh, weakness or tingling, burning in arms or legs? So again, picking up on this on a standard neuro exam or, or a subjective, you know, doing your Hoffman's and, and looking at your red flags. Severe or increasing headache. Um, again, is this the worst headache of your life? Again, we, we know how to screen, uh, screen for stroke and other neurological um, concomitant things going on. Seizure or convulsion. Again, this doesn't have to be some kind of grand mal drop on the floor, very dramatic Grey's Anatomy situation. This can also be picking up on a subjective like, hey, you know, I was driving to work and all of a sudden I spaced out and I'm like six exits past where I normally go. Paying attention to those subjective uh, language cues that your patients give you um, because that could, you know, lead to something else. Any loss of consciousness, we know about, uh, you know, less than 10% of folks with concussion have a loss of consciousness, not to be confused with the amnestic event of not remembering short term. Deteriorating conscious state, this you're going to often pick up with other folks, a spouse, a parent, uh, a friend, um, a coworker. But again, you're picking up on this when you're doing the bombs, when you're taking a formal intake subjectively, um, either on the phone or in person in COVID-19 days. And you're picking up on a lot of these things just as a, being a good clinician, but making sure that you're documenting all of these things that are either present or, or absent. What are the next steps if you suspect there's something sinister going on? Who do you refer to? Yeah, it's an immediate referral to a physician or emergency department. So it, it needs to be urgent and we need to treat it as urgent. We don't need to rile up the patient to make them nervous. However, I, I go from fun, amicable physio who's trying to build rapport with the patient in front of me to, okay, we're going to be doing this together. I always use the language of, you know what, I'd rather have a second set of eyes on you to make sure that my feelings are, are confirmed here. And I'm always okay with, with being wrong. Um, I just want to make sure that we have a second set of eyes on you and then we're doing your due diligence to make sure there's nothing else going on that can be, you know, more scary. I 100% call ahead of time, call the ED, or I tried to find, build a rapport with, with local places. One big thing there also is that, you know, as a clinician, we never like to be told what to do. So please don't tell the patient that someone is going to be, you know, running a CAT scan or some kind of scan or giving some kind of drug. You know, I always just say we want to make sure that someone is doing a differential diagnosis and doing our due diligence together because we don't want to set the patient up for success or the uh, for failure or the, the referred pro- provider. Um, and then always following up with them afterwards, of course, to just see what the outcomes were. How does what you find in your assessment or what you do in your assessment guide the next steps for developing a rehabilitation program? 
that's an excellent question and not an easy question, um, to be honest with you. At the end of the day, it comes down to a few different things. What's my environment? Sometimes um, I may not be the best person to be treating that person uh, environmentally. Do I need something else, you know, in clinic or do I need like more of a vestibular uh, specialty or an ocular motor specialty? Um, so essentially I'm triaging and I'm understanding my own limitations as a clinician. So we cannot treat everything at the same time. It becomes overwhelming, both to patient and yourself. And that's how you set yourself up for failure. So we want to make sure we're triaging what I call the big nasties. So if there's vestibular involvements, severe pain in the cervical spine, if they're having pain um, and anxiety, they're just going to become kinesiophobic and fear avoidant of everything. Um, And is that being driven by the ocular motor system? Is that being driven by the vestibular system? Is that being driven by the cervical spine? Is that being driven by a mood disorder? Picking out what's the most important, what's the biggest thing at the moment, and very important here, that can change from session to session. So did somebody come on a subway to me on a Wednesday and that was like, no air conditioning, it was super crowded, they were agitated, it was the end of the day. And then on Friday, they come to me, you know, feeling a lot better, but it's also early in the day, and they haven't had a full day of sensory interaction with their with their living, with their livelihood. So it really depends. And that's where a lot of folks get nervous as clinicians. Day-to-day treatment can often be different depending on time of day and the patient's lived experience that day. So that's really important to connect to because you're not doing anything wrong as a clinician, but you just have to understand that whatever the patient's sensory environment was that day, you kind of have to understand that because they may not be ready to do that ocular motor work or vestibular work that may be that may light them up a little bit more in that time because they just already may be to their threshold for that day. We're focusing on the rehabilitative nature of this injury, and we're also focusing um, on returning them to function. Jess, how much of your program happens in the clinic and how much of it happens at home or at least outside of the clinic walls? So I'm a concierge therapist in New York City. So I do um, a big mix of work depending on where they are. Quite frankly, a lot of folks become comfortable in their environment, in their home, because that's controlled. And then when they go outside, they totally fall apart. So with that being said, I actually take them out quite a bit. I take them into Central Park. I take them into whatever's local. I'll take them on buses and subways. I will take them onto the field. Again, concussion is a loss of I am. So we have to connect to that as provider that we don't start taking more stuff away from them. You know, if I have a soccer player, I'm taking them onto the soccer field, maybe not with a soccer ball um, or maybe, but making sure that they feel connected to something that they're connected to and it feels like home. Now, could I be doing vestibular? Can I be doing physiologic rehab with them? Can I be doing cognitive rehab with them? on the soccer field? Absolutely. And then they become much more connected to me as provider and much into their rehab um, and much more connected to their old self. And I say old self on purpose because brain injured folks and folks with persistent symptoms from concussion three or more months feel like they've lost something. And a big part of that is their I am. So anything that I can bring to them that makes them feel like their old self Jess, how much of your rehab program is you working one-to-one with the patient and how much of it is you setting the patient up with something to do on their own, whether that's a home exercise program or whether that's a gym-based program or, or something else? That's an awesome question. And, and, you know, the injury is so heterogeneous that the rehab is often heterogeneous as well. 
So dosing, frequency, and intensity, right? You know, it's the same thing with our ACSM guidelines and our certified strength and conditioning uh, specialist guidelines. So it really depends on what I'm working with with the patient and how overwhelmed they are with their own life. You really have to pay attention to other things that are happening in patients' lives. Everything I do, because I'm concierge PT, is one-on-one, both in person and on Zoom and FaceTime, because oftentimes they just feel that they need the support. And oftentimes what happens is, and this is very, very important, um, especially when looking at like physiological things, we're used to VO2 max testing. We're used to pushing through thresholds. We're used to pushing through pain as an athlete on the field rehabilitation for concussion is not about pushing through thresholds. I can't repeat that enough. We do not push through thresholds more than plus two on a VAS. Very, 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 very important. We're looking at working up to people's symptom thresholds. It's a very different way of thinking as a rehabilitative provider and as a, um, well, not not necessarily because we tend to not push through pain, but, but also as a patient making sure that we understanding that they understand as patient dosing, frequency, and intensity is working up to symptom threshold and then paying attention how long it takes them to recover. If someone's recovering in like 30 to 60 seconds from doing an ocular motor vestibular cervical, I usually tend to combine like, you know, putting people in prone on elbows, um, in quadruped uh, and things like that, having them move spine, move head, things like that, depending on what I'm working on. I don't want to light them up. My goal is for them not to leave and be like, oh man, just really, you know, mess me up that day. My goal is to have them work up to empower them that that symptom threshold that they worked up to is not going to last for four to six hours after they saw me. And if it does, which it may as it very well can, it's okay. Things will get better. You call or text me right away and help them through that. Um, but oftentimes people get become a migranor after these exercises, especially ocular motor. Something like putting a pen into a cap and having them trace and track can really light folks up if they're having a convergence insufficiency or an accommodative issue. Is the accommodative eye ocular motor issue due to a um, physiologic uh, autonomic issue? The injury is heterogeneous. The rehab is heterogeneous. Um, You know, before they get there, they may just be going for a walk in the heat. They may just be trying to increase the frequency and doing a cognitive activity on the spin bike. I prescribe that all the time. Hey, can you give me a few few minutes on the spin bike and do some math or I give them, you know, a home exercise program to do on the bike, the, the stationary bike, to see if that gives them a migraine or if that changes any of their symptoms because there's so many things going on. It can be one-on-one, it can be over Zoom, or it can be on their own time. If it's on their own time, I tend to not give them more than two to three things a day, making sure that they're, not con- they're connected to the two to three activities that I'm giving them per day, and it can vary. Um, maybe one day we just work on the eyes, one day we work on the neck, one day we work on the, you know, the physiologic system, and so on and so forth. Um, but making sure they're connected to that and that it's not making them feel worse. How do you know if someone's making progress in rehabilitation and how do you know if they're going backwards? The key thing here is that 
on that post-concussive symptom scale, they may be rating high levels there. And if they're rating a four or five, but then all of a sudden they're still saying, this is why I don't ask patients how they feel. I get very objective with them and very specific because again, subjectively, we don't know how to express the what and how we feel with concussion or brain injury. And then also if they're having like a headache every day and feeling nauseous every day and having light sensitivity every day, you want to know, like, are they at that five out of five level or is it like a one or two? And that's a big difference. Or how are you recovering? Hey, I still have this headache, but instead of getting an eight out of 10 headache, I'm getting a two out of 10 headache. So acknowledging that and then acknowledging those wins. Hey, remember we were only able to do three exercises together during our first three weeks of physio. Now you're not only doing cognitive activities on the bike, but you're also doing multiple step commands, you know, able to turn your head. Um, We're able to put up, you know, if they have space and motion discomfort, hey, we're doing activities, you know, on a busy background. Before we used to have the lights low, uh, we changed the environment. So hitting on all those wins um, that they may not be aware of, it feels slow. And I I say that we take two steps back in concussion rehab, and then we often, uh, excuse me, two steps forward, and then often can take two or three steps back, depending on the patient's environment, because they're going to be pushing through things that are new. And then they often feel like they have a setback. But no, you were just in your house for six weeks. You just went back to work. You should kind of feel like crap. This is normal. This is why we went back two days a week part-time. This is why we went back three days a week. This is why we introduced pace-graded exposure to your life. Jess, how do you know when it's when it's discharge time? I kind of take folks through more of a progressive training um, if they are a sp- or like a true orthopedic sport patient. Again, I treat a lot of folks that are older and middle-aged and weekend warriors and things like that. But I want to make sure that I've meet or exceeded all of their expectations. And if that is returning to sport or weekend warrior or playing with their kids, it really depends on the, on the patient. Really big thing here, not everybody recovers. Not everybody recovers from concussion uh, and post-concussive syndrome. So I also take them to what their new normal may be, and that is actually much more painful. Maybe it's time for a new sport. Maybe it's time for, hey, can we get you on the road bike? Can we get you on the spin bike? Progressing them there and then taking them through that new journey. Now, to be very clear here, I see things change in six months and 12 months and in five years. So if that person wasn't able to do the mountain biking that they wanted to do five years ago, that does not mean that I don't see them doing that in five years from now. Oftentimes with concussion, we see the threshold of future concussions drop. Um, so if you're getting a concussion at 100 Gs, you know, maybe you're, you're not being as cognizant or you didn't have a full physiological to um, clinical recovery and you try to get out of the car. And I, I see it all the time. People try to get out of the car and they hit their head on the, the glass door. Um, I've done it myself in the past. And then you feel a little concussed. But if folks are having multiple concussions and they're taking longer and longer to recover, which means their threshold is dropping and there may be some other underlying things going on, that's something that we need to pay attention to. And that's something that you 1000% want your physio with you. So I don't necessarily discharge. Jess, thank you so much for joining us on the JOSVT Insights podcast. It's been terrific hearing your experience as a patient and also your tips and suggestions for folks who are working clinically and encountering patients who have concussion. Thank you so much.
Oh, thank you so much, Claire. And, you know, please find me on social media at dpt to go That's Dog Paul Thomas, the number two go. Uh, and I'm happy to always say hello there or over at the podcast at Concussion Corner. And you can find everything at concussioncorner.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Music